Let us remain standing as we honor the gospel of Jesus. It comes to us today from the first chapter of the gospel of John. Jesus is just assembling his uh, followers who will join him in this work of love. He's called Peter and Andrew, beginning with verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael answered, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, when did you come to know me? Jesus said, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus said to him, do you believe because I told told you I saw you under the fig tree? You'll see greater things than these very truly. I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the Son of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. Do not shoot the messenger, but we will not have children's church this morning. Blame it on the weather. Let's bow together and pray. Many words have been spoken from this pulpit. But ultimately, there's only one word, the living word, that makes a difference in people's lives, that penetrate hearts and call them to new understandings of self and world and creation and all that life is. So let it happen this morning. Let the word be heard somewhere through a baptism, a song, a moment of silence, a sermon. Whatever it is, may the word that becomes flesh in these people be part of your agenda for changing this world to what you dream it to be. May your kingdom come. May your will be done. Hear us now as we unite with people all around the world, the great cloud of witness, that pray the prayer Jesus taught long ago, praying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, but forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I was somewhat surprised at the 930 service when Associate Pastor Lauren read the Hebrew scripture, the story of Samuel and Eli in the temple. And she reported that This is one of her favorite stories in the Bible. 
I, I understand that. But for me, that story scares the bejeebers out of me. And it has ever since I was a little bitty kid. To be in church and sleep in an empty church building with some old man and to, to, to be in a place where, where God speaks and calls people and, 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 and calls them to do something. I, I had this fear that God was going to call me. Maybe to do something awful like be a pastor or something. <laughs> so I've been hesitant. Always. To hear the word of the Lord and to say yes. Our gospel reading has Philip and Nathaniel. Two of my kindred spirits, people who are also hesitant to trust the invitation of Jesus to come right along, to follow, to go where he goes. As long as we kept it within the bounds of church, it seemed okay to say, I want to follow Jesus. If that meant just going to church on Sunday and being a basically okay person, I can do that. But have you ever read that children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie? You know it. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. And if he's going to ask for a glass of milk, he's going to ask for a napkin. If he asks for a napkin, he's going to want to throw it. It goes on and on. And that's the way Jesus has felt. You know, you give him an inch and he'll take a mile. He won't only care about your, your religion, whatever that is. He starts messing with your life. Your politics, your economics, your, your social life, your personal life, your actual life. Will Campbell, one of my heroes, said, Jesus has plenty of admirers, but few followers. Jesus has plenty of admirers, but few followers. I don't have to tell you that we live in a culture that is, is, is essentially rejected the message of Jesus. Let's be honest. We live in a culture that has rejected the message of Jesus. They said no. We don't believe that blessed are the poor, blessed are the meek, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the humble or frugal or reverent or generous. That's not the message we live under. That's not the culture we live within. Our culture has chosen the opposite. Our culture has said, blessed are the wealthy. Blessed are the conceited, the extravagant, the irreverent, and the greedy. And they've told us, be very afraid. Whereas Jesus says, don't be afraid, our culture says, be very afraid. There's not enough. And if they take yours, you won't have enough. 21 Januarys ago, Terry and I came to Louisville, Kentucky to have a conversation with the Highland Baptist Church. We were met by a red-headed man named Phil Collier at a place called Lynn's Paradise Cafe over on Barrett Avenue. Does anybody remember Lynn's? It was a January day. Only unlike today, it was 70 degrees. The sun was shining. And Phil, as chair of the search committee, said to Terry and me, it's always like this in Louisville. <laughs> this was not the last fabrication Mr. Collier would offer to me. 
I was also told the church had a staff of four. Well, sort of-ish. We had one full-time person named Ann Smith. I remember Ann. And then we had three part-time ministers, all related to seminaries, all by the name of John. I'm not kidding. John Gribbins, John Hollins, and John Dixon. First, second, and third, John. That was the church staff. What attracted us to Highland was not the staff. It wasn't the weather. It wasn't the fact that the Kentucky Derbies run here each year, although that's kind of cool. It wasn't even this sanctuary. Although I fell in love with it the first time I walked in it, and 21 years later I still think it's the most exquisite place to lead and act in worship uh, that I've ever seen. But it wasn't the sanctuary that attracted us to Highland. What Terry and I detected in this place is that Highland wanted to follow Jesus. You weren't sure how or where. You'd been faithful all these years and had followed Christ, but now you discerned that there was another level to following Highland was never a boisterous church. It wasn't showy. It's kind of hard to believe that before then, it had really never shown up much in the news or in the paper. (laughs) But Highland was willing early on to explore in faith the political and moral and spiritual truths of the gospel. That Jesus dying on the cross wasn't about just getting us out of hell. But that Jesus dying on the cross was showing us a way. And you were committed to this. And I love that you didn't abandon or jettison the language and symbols of faith. You knew that there was still something good and profound and true in this gospel, even though it had been reduced and bastardized in all kinds of crazy ways, you knew there was still something to this, to Jesus showing us the way to live and the way to be in this world. I was a little boy in a very conservative Baptist church. We did these things called sword drills where we'd learn Bible memorization. One of the first ones we learned was John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. As a child, I remembered, memorized that verse, but I didn't understand that verse. I didn't understand that when Jesus said, I am the way, What he meant was, the way I'm living is the way. This way of self-giving, sacrificial love that trusts oneself to the mercy of, of life, of God, so that you give your life freely, trusting that in its own way it will come back to you. What we've come to realize at Highland is that to follow Jesus is to trust in love. It is to trust that love has the capacity not only to hold us, but to heal us and to transform us into people of great 
power, not political or, or economic power, but the kind of power that really changes people's lives. We trust this because we've been touched by it. We've experienced it. You're here today because you've had some moment of grace, of acceptance, some moment of, of, of mercy that has come to you when you've cried out to a God you didn't even know, but you felt this acceptance and, and love and calm come over you. It happened not because anyone argued your way, argued your, you into a way of thinking. This isn't about your head. Someone didn't give you a book called Evidence That Demands a Verdict, and all of a sudden you became a person who experienced God's grace. But rather, I bet in every one of our stories, there's a key moment where someone cared about you and loved you and knew your name and cared whether you lived or died and wanted you to find the fullness of life that they were beginning to experience. And when you trusted it, you experienced this this awakening. It's like you're born again. Your eyes are open and you're healed. So we trusted love here at Highland, which is to say we trusted God to guide that we could be intuitive and not just analytical about this stuff. That we could follow the lead of something we call the Spirit of God. So when the murder spiked and we wanted to make a statement, we put the crosses on the lawn. My first Christmas here. My second Christmas here, Hurricane Mitch had just hit. My beloved spouse, Terry, saw in the newspaper a picture of a little child who was now homeless because of Hurricane Mitch. And she proposed that we do something to respond. It was Christmas time. She proposed that we raise money by doing something called alternative gifts. Alternative gifts. You know about it now. We've been doing it every year. This is an opportunity for people to give money in the name of or in memory of someone else. And that that money be used out and beyond us. As Terry said recently, reflecting on this, it really wasn't just about raising money. It was about inviting mindfulness, attentiveness, awareness of what's going on in the larger world, and making personal sacrifice and asking someone to whom you would give a gift to join you in the sacrifice. That rather than a new tie or a new sweater or something else you don't need, this money has been given in your honor to help these people over here. It changes the giver. It changes the receiver. It changes the world. And what we decided was it wasn't just about raising the money. It was about multiplying the message of the gospel. And that's exactly what happened. When you start caring about natural disasters and people all around the world, then you start being aware of unnatural disasters. 
those things that we do in our world, the systems that we humans create that leave some out and leave others in, that leave some privileged and others with neglect. And we've seen it. We recognize Highland. That this is not God's dream, that when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. You can't pray that and not work for the kingdom to come now. That is God's dream of equality, of harmony, of a sense of abundance, that there's more enough than enough in this world for everyone if we'll just share it, share it. To trust love is to ask What would Jesus do? I mean, I know that's a cliche, but it is the question. What would Jesus do? What are Jesus' priorities? What does Jesus care about? Or as as David Brooks said in a recent New York Times column, how would Jesus drive? Brooks said you can tell a lot about a culture by the way its citizens drive cars. Do they drive aggressively or do they drive in community? How would Jesus drive? Brooks says Jesus would drive with the value of cooperation rather than competition. Think about it. Cooperation, community, rather than a competition. To trust love is to drive like Jesus would drive. Even if the highways of life are filled with drivers who do not share Jesus' values, even if they're angry and aggressive and don't have any respect for this love stuff, even if they'll run you over, we do not lose our message. We trust love to find us. Last summer, our son Stephen traveled for two months in Asia. It was his way of, I think, of uh, kind of validating his four, five-year, four-year college degree um, that he got majoring in the religions of Asia. So he planned this trip. He funded this trip on his own. We're very proud of him, and he, he accomplished a great many things. But, but because it was Stephen, he also lost his credit card and I think his passport and whatever. And he tells a story about being late for a flight. He's with a group of friends. He's going to make them all late. They get to the airport. He's carrying everything he has with him in a backpack behind him and a backpack in front of him. And the person at the gate, at the, at the, at the gate says to him, you can't board unless you have one more document, and it's only available about a half a mile from the airport in that direction. Stephen didn't have time to think or to call a cab or anything. He just took off running as fast as he could with two backpacks on. He ran until he got to a six-lane roundabout in Bangkok, Thailand. (laughs) The cars were racing, and he had no choice but to run right through the middle of it. And he got about halfway across and suddenly lost his balance because of the backpack. And he flew forward and he caught himself with his hands and the backpack. And he's got traffic going one side and another around him. When out of nowhere, a Thai man reaches down and 
grabs him by the backpack straps and lifts him to his feet, hugs him, then turns him around and sends him on his way. (laughs) How's that work? Did God do that? I don't know. But as one who has both lifted and been lifted, I trust in love. As Peter Mirror wrote, Oh, love, the prophet's only word, the only lesson left to learn, the only end of heaven's work, and the only road that goes there. Or as we sang at Highland, let love be the mortar that holds us together. Love be the windows through which we see. Love be the doors, wide open in welcome. Build love in our church, Lord, and build love in me to the glory of God. Let's pray. May love abound. May we never be flip or superficial with the mystery of love. May we understand that love sometimes calls for hard demands. Love calls for choices. Love calls for sacrifice. But love has the power to lift us when we're down. Love has the power to set us in the right direction. Love has the power to embrace us. And love has the power to send us on. So for love made flesh in Jesus, we thank you, God. Make it flesh again in us, we pray. Amen.